Friday the 13th of July 2012 was just another typical hot, sunny day in the small community of Evansdale, Iowa. And nine-year-old Elizabeth Collins and her 10-year-old cousin, Lyric Cook, were doing what any other normal kiddos their age would be doing. They were riding their bikes and enjoying their summer break off of school. But when hours passed without seeing the little girls, frantic family members would realize something's not right here. Sadly, despite a massive search and huge efforts by law enforcement and the community, months would go by with no leads and the girls would never be seen alive again. This is True Crime IRL, and I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink, and this is the story of Elizabeth Collins and Lyric Cook and the Evansdale Murders. Evansdale, Iowa is its own little town, but it's actually part of a much bigger area of Iowa where two other cities, Waterloo and Cedar Falls, transition into each other without any real distinction. Evansdale itself has about 4,700 residents, but Cedar Falls is a large college town that is home to one of Iowa's major universities, the University of Northern Iowa. And Waterloo, which is connected to Cedar Falls, is another large city in Iowa that is basically just an extension of the other two, but it has kind of a lot of crime for its size. But both these cities, Cedar Falls and Waterloo, kind of flow right into Evansdale. So it's kind of actually a large area with a lot of people, bringing the population up to well over 100,000. And yeah, that's right. I said city and people because Iowa is not all just cows and cornfields. <laughs> so Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins were cousins and their families lived in the Evansdale area. It was not really a big deal for the girls to just hop on their bikes and ride around town together as kids do. And that's exactly what they were doing on this summer day. Lyric Cook was described as a very special little girl. She was an infectious joy to be around with a smile that radiated love. In her short 10 years, Lyric had a heart of compassion for her family and her friends. She enjoyed bowling, cheerleading, and gymnastics. Lyric loved to be outside playing and riding her bike no matter what the weather, rain, snow, or shine. Lyric had an immense and unconditional love for her family and especially her big brother Dylan. For 10 years old, she was extremely active in her church and she had a huge love for Jesus, sharing devotions with her parents in the morning and playing card games with her grandmother in the afternoons. Both of Lyric's parents, Dan and Misty, struggled with drug abuse and addiction through Lyric's early life. Dan and Misty lived in the neighboring Waterloo area, but Lyric was primarily raised by her grandmother, Wilma. Lyric's cousin, 
Elizabeth Collins was described as a bubbly little person with the best smile who loved what life had to offer. Elizabeth was one of four children born to Drew and Heather Collins. Elizabeth's family life was much stabler than her cousins, and she was very close with both of her parents. Elizabeth was a girly girl who enjoyed dressing up and getting her nails done and her hair done. She loved singing, riding her bike, playing softball and hockey. She had a big heart and had a great love for animals. Elizabeth also loved playing with her siblings and ordering them around at times. She enjoyed going on vacations and she had traveled to many places. She loved laying in bed with her family, eating popcorn and watching movies. Girl, same. Me too. Me too. So these were just two pretty normal, active little girls who were kind of a fixture in this tiny community. Everyone knew them, everyone knew their families, and they were used to seeing them playing and riding their bikes and just being kids. People in Evansdale recognized Lyric and Elizabeth and reported seeing them as usual riding their bikes at around noon in Evansdale and also around the local recreation area there, Myers Lake, on that July 13th day when they disappeared. The girl's own grandmother, Wilma Cook, told the press that she last saw the girls riding their bikes near downtown Evansdale about 12.15 p.m. So, nothing unusual here at all. But what wasn't normal was for the two girls to just completely ignore the rules and not come home when they were supposed to. And that's why their families became extremely worried when hours went by without seeing them. When the girls hadn't returned home by nearly 3 p.m. that day and no one could find them in all their usual spots, their families knew something wasn't right. And this is when they called 911 and reported Lyric and Elizabeth missing. Now, quite often when we hear about missing child cases, we hear about everything law enforcement did wrong. But in this case, it's astounding how very much everyone involved did right. From the very moment that something didn't seem right here, the family sprung into action, contacting the police, and everyone down the chain acted quickly and efficiently to hopefully bring these two little girls home. So here is a, what I find very interesting, minute-by-minute account of what law enforcement did from that very first 911 call up until the days and months after that. Let's start with Friday, July 13th, 2012, the day the girls went missing. At 2.48 p.m., cousins Lyric Cook Morrissey and Elizabeth Collins are reported missing to the police. Moments later, at 2.50 p.m., Evansdale police begin to search the girls' homes and the area using three squad cars. Just 20 minutes after that, at 3.15 p.m., Blackhawk Sheriff's Office sends four more cars to help. The fire department was requested to help, and they started to use ATVs to check bike trails. At 4 p.m., just about an hour after that first 911 call, firefighters find the girls' bikes and Elizabeth's little purse at Myers Lake in Evansdale. At 4.30 p.m., Elizabeth and Lyric's names are entered into the National Crime Information Center, a nationwide FBI database that includes missing persons. Also at 4.30 p.m., just an hour and 45 minutes after law enforcement was notified of the missing girls, the fire department already begins dragging Myers Lake. At 4.40 p.m., the County Emergency Management Agency is notified and begins Everbridge automated messages to phones in the area 
area to alert residents, aka the Amber Alert. At 5 p.m., officials begin canvassing the neighborhood around Myers Lake, where the girls' bikes were found. At 5.30 p.m., an officer meets with Elizabeth Collins' family to obtain photos of the girls. Also at 5.30 p.m., the media is officially notified of the disappearance. Additionally, at 5.30 p.m., divers with the Cedar Valley Underwater Search and Rescue Team, a local team of volunteers, is called to help search the lake. By 6.30 p.m. that evening, law enforcement and civilians begin a search of wooded areas. And this continues until about 3.30 a.m. the following day. At 7 p.m., an Iowa State Patrol airplane with forward-looking infrared joins the search. Authorities also begin interviewing local people listed on the state sex offender registry. At 8 p.m., the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are notified. The FBI is brought in. Star One, an Iowa search and rescue group, is also contacted. At 8.30 p.m., the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children begins emailing and faxing photos and descriptions of the girls to truck stops, stores, and public places within a 100-mile radius of Evansdale. Friday the 13th would be drawing to an end with hundreds of people still working through the night. And this is all, literally just hours after the girls went missing. The efforts of law enforcement and volunteers would continue into the next day. And on Saturday, July 14th, the search continued. Bright and early by 7 a.m., the DCI and FBI begin interviews. Civilian searches of the area resume until 7.30 p.m. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children sends out an advisory and prepares posters. At 8 a.m., law enforcement continues canvassing the neighborhood. The cell phones and computers of the missing girl's parents are taken for examination. The FBI's child abduction response team is deployed and remains in the area until July 20th. At 8 a.m. July 14th, cadaver dogs are sent to the lake where the girls' bikes were found. Also at 8 a.m., law enforcement continues locating and interviewing registered sex offenders in the area. At 10 a.m., press briefings begin and continue on a daily basis throughout the investigation. At 10.30 a.m., divers are called back to search new areas of Myers Lake. At 4 p.m., law enforcement gives their afternoon press briefing with nothing new to report. At 5 p.m., the Iowa State Patrol plane returns. At 8 p.m., law enforcement begins searching area dumpsters, a search that would continue through the night until 5 a.m. At 10 p.m., garbage hauling companies are notified of dump locations in the landfill. And as Saturday draws to a close, exhaustive efforts go through the night. On the morning of Sunday, July 15th, the law enforcement command post moves into Pointer School in the area and remains there for an entire month. The FBI brings in a data management team, and that team remains there for two months. At 7 a.m. on Sunday, July 15th, the DCI and the FBI resume their interviews. Civilian searches and cadaver dog searches also resume and continue for the next 12 hours. Interviews continue, and polygraphs start being conducted. 
At 8 a.m., the DCI, FBI, and local police continue neighborhood canvassing. More computers and more cell phones are taken in for examination. Law enforcement continues with more sex offender interviews. Press briefings are held again at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Searches of area dumpsters resume on through the day and the night as Sunday rolls into Monday, July 16th. At this point, the girls have been missing for three nights. At 5 a.m. Monday morning, law enforcement accompanies trash haulers picking up commercial trash in the area. At 6.30 a.m., the landfill is asked to set aside a special area just for Evansdale trash for two weeks so they can go through it all to find possible remains or any evidence that's been thrown away. Just as in the days before, on Monday, interviews and polygraphs continue. The DCI team continues to locate and interview registered sex offenders. The 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. press briefings become a routine occurrence now, and again, there's no new info to report. At 11 a.m. Monday, law enforcement decides to begin draining Myers Lake, where the girls' bikes were found. At 4 p.m., FBI bloodhounds are requested. Another day ends, and Elizabeth and Lyric have not been found. And then they start another day, Tuesday, July 17th. It's basically a repeat of the last. Law enforcement accompanies trash haulers picking up commercial trash. Interviews and polygraphs continue. Law enforcement teams search specific areas, and the DCI team continues meeting with sex offenders. At 9 a.m. Tuesday, sewer lines are examined with TV cameras. And then come the routine 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. press briefings, with, again, no new info. More FBI bloodhounds search the area. Nothing. Wednesday, July 18th dissolves into Thursday, July 19th, and every day is the same as the last. No Lyric, no Elizabeth. But authorities do not give up. And neither does the Evansdale community. But with no sign of the girls, law enforcement eventually has no choice but to call this a child abduction. Wilma, tomorrow will be two months since Elizabeth and Lyric, your granddaughters, vanished. Uh, my heart goes out to you. This has got to be a nightmare. How are you and the parents of these two girls holding up? What is it like? It's really hard. It gets harder every day. But we keep praying. We have faith in the Lord that they're going to be coming home. And uh, as for that new surveillance that they're talking about, there isn't any. We talked to Kent Smock, the chief of police from Evansdale. I don't know who started that story, but it's not true. Well, here's the, the, the thing, Wilma. It's not like they found surveillance of the girls. What What we've heard is that police have hours and hours of surveillance. We're talking about from the area. There are stores with surveillance cameras, gas stations with surveillance cameras, parking lots, but they don't know where to start looking or what to look for. If, let's say, there was a van involved, they don't know what van, what color van, or even if there was a van. So they're asking everybody, please report anything suspicious that could point to a potential suspect or vehicle that was suspicious. Tom Shamshack, you're a former police chief, you're a private investigator. Uh, police say if somebody changes their hair color or facial hair, is acting differently or suspiciously, repainted their car to make it look different, or moved out of the neighborhood abruptly, aren't those some of the things to look for? What else, Tom? 
Jane, you're correct. Uh, looking for immediate flight after the uh, this occurrence. Although, you know, we, we really have to begin looking at the scene where these bikes uh, were found. Was it staged? Uh, could they have been abducted elsewhere and the bikes placed there? Law enforcement would be looking at uh, footwear impressions in the area. Were there, was there any evidence of a struggle in that area? Looking for tire marks uh, that might have uh, indicated that a vehicle fled at a high rate of speed. But you're right. Uh, th that's what has to be done. Looking at automobile plates from the, uh, the highway, if, if it's a toll road, uh, capturing that information. Everyone holds out hope that Lyric and Elizabeth would be found alive. But hope begins to dwindle as summer turns into fall, and fall turns into winter, and before they know it, it's December. It's nearly Christmas, and the girls are still gone. You're probably wondering if the family had something to do with the girls' disappearances. If you're a true crime addict like me, you know that most of the time, when a child or a spouse go missing, you really don't need to look much farther than those closest to them to solve the crime. Given the fact that Lyric Cook's parents were both in and out of jail and had criminal pasts involving drugs, which brings its own cast of shady characters into a person's life, it would seem as though maybe they could have had something to do with it. But no, that could not be farther from the truth. The parents of both girls were determined to have had absolutely nothing to do with the girls' disappearances. They may have had some issues with their past, they were all loving parents who did the best they could, and officials determined that they did not harm their children. They were never suspects. They were never persons of interest. So, where were Lyric and Elizabeth? Who took these little girls? Joining us there at the scene at Myers Lake, the mother of 10-year-old Lyric is with us, Misty Cook-Morrissey. Also with me, Wilma Cook, the missing girl's grandmother. Ladies, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having us. First out to Lyric's mother, 10-year-old Lyric, everyone, out riding bikes with her cousin, her 8-year-old cousin, when they seemingly just vanish into thin air and right now asking for your help is Lyric's mother, Misty Cook-Morrissey. Misty, thank you for being with us. Yes, thank you. Misty, that day when she goes missing, let's take it from the top. What happened starting in the morning? Um, I left for work at 8.30 a.m. Uh, she gave me a hug and a kiss and told me she'd text me and let me know um, when I got off of work where she would be, either at Heather's um, in Evansdale or back at our mother's home in Waterloo. I left for work. At 2 o'clock, my mother, Lyric's grandma, called and said she couldn't find them. They'd been on a bike ride and, you know, to come directly to Heather's home. I only work just up the street. I came directly there. Um, my mom had been driving around looking for them. Uh, we stood in the yard and talked for a few minutes. Heather pulled up, had not been able to find them. It was about 2.20, 2.30 uh, p.m., and so Heather said, I'm going to the police station. And that's when she went to the Evansdale PD to involve them. Now, Ms. Cook-Morrissey, you work not too far away. Where do you work? I work at uh, Casey's. It's a, a gas station general store, um, which is just a couple of miles up the road from where my sister lives. 
Miss Cook Morrissey, where would the girls typically ride their bikes? And listen, you're speaking to somebody when we grew up, we could get on our bikes and ride until it was supper time, and that was okay. And in your area, it's a very, very low crime rate. It's a lot of rural, wooded area where you'd think girls would be safe. So tell me, what's their normal bike route, or do they even have a normal bike route? I don't think they have a normal bike route, but they're, they are not allowed to just ride freely um, for hours or until dark. They do have a little bit of freedom, so they're allowed to go, you know, maybe two or three blocks away and stay within those blocks. Um, an hour check back in is kind of the um, standard that we hold with them, and mostly they stick with it. So it's it was very surprising to see that they had um, come this far, if indeed they did you know, ride this far. Had they ever ridden around Myers Lake before? Um, to my understanding, no. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. It's quite a bit of ways. Did Lyric have a cell phone? She has a cell phone that was at my mother's, so she didn't have one on her, no. Now joining me, Wilma Cook, the grandmother. Wilma Cook, thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Miss Cook, tell me what you saw that day, the day the girls go missing. Well, I took her from my house. I live in Waterloo, and her mom left for work. She rode with me to Heather's house, my other daughter in Evansdale. And I go there every day for four or five hours, and she always goes with me And because Heather is not well, and she has four little kids. And uh, we did a daily routine that day at, you know, in her house doing things, eating breakfast and all that stuff. And so it was at 1130, they asked me if they could go for a short bike ride. And I said yes, and they've done this millions of times. And they've never, never went that far. I could go outside and yell their names and they would eventually hear me. And this day, they just didn't come back. And so Kelly, Elizabeth's brother, he's 12. I hopped in my car because the dad came home and I went searching Elk Run. Uh, we were down by Myers Lake. We drove all over to every little park in Evansdale, Elk Run, every mentionable place, downtown area, and we couldn't find nobody. And that's when Heather went to the cops. To Misty Cook Morrissey, this is Lyric's mom. What is your message tonight, Misty? Um, be on the lookout. Look for our kids. Look for anything that's strange. Keep your eyes open. Um, and then definitely contact the police if you see that. Um, that's our message. We just want everybody to get involved. And um, the more coverage we can get, the more people we have out there with their eyes open, the better. And to you, the grandmother, Wilma Cook, what is your message tonight? I just want my kids home, my grandkids. I want everybody to try to find them. I want them alive. I want them back home with me. Uh, I want to thank everybody for everybody's help out there. They've been just fabulous, all the friends and the churches and everything. Wilma, and when you saw them ride away that day, what was your last image of them? Just the normal image. Don't be gone very long. And we realized... They left at 11.30. By 12.30, we were not happy because we, they weren't back. And that's when Kelly, my 12-year-old grandson from Heather's house, the dad was home, so we went searching right away. And by 2 o'clock, Heather couldn't find him either, so she went straight to the police station, and the police went out right away.
Now, December in Iowa is cold. There's often lots of snow on the ground and temperatures plummet well below freezing. But that doesn't stop our diehard hunters from donning their warmest car hearts, grabbing their guns, and heading out into the woods and the fields for wild game. And that's exactly what a group of unsuspecting guys were doing on December 5th at the Seven Bridges Wildlife Park, approximately 25 miles from where Lyric and Elizabeth were last seen. The Seven Bridges Wildlife Park was a very remote area that teenagers would often use as a place to party where adults couldn't easily find them. But officially, it's a wildlife area and public hunting ground. And that's what these hunters were doing that day when they stumbled upon two sets of human remains. Those human remains were of two children. It appeared that someone had gone to a great deal of effort to hide these bodies in a very isolated area where it would be very difficult to find them. After hunters called 911, officials were quickly on the scene. The bodies were transported to the state medical examiner's office, and authorities would later confirm what people already assumed. These were, in fact, the remains of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. The families and friends and the entire community, actually, were able to move on to the very important step of true grieving and mourning after they knew the fate of Lyric and Elizabeth. They may not have known the why, the how, or the who yet, but they knew that these two little girls were gone. They also knew, though, that these girls were not chained in a basement somewhere, and they weren't being sex trafficked in another state. They were gone. And while that's absolutely devastating, I can imagine that there's a certain amount of closure gained from just knowing that and that they are no longer suffering. They could proceed with funeral services and memorialize these kiddos the way they deserved. And this is going to break your heart. Elizabeth's bestie was her adorable dog, Gus. And Gus attended Elizabeth's graveside service, decorated with a rose on his collar in her memory. Uh, sorry guys. Seriously though. That's just so sad. I am not crying. Seriously, though. (sighs) So, how did these two little girls meet their untimely end? Well, we actually don't know because there's something so unique and so specific about the way Lyric and Elizabeth were murdered that authorities are keeping those details away from the public and away from the media. They say that these are details that only the killer would know. And to this day... They've never released the cause of death. And authorities didn't have any leads as to who committed these senseless murders, but they did develop a criminal profile of the possible suspect. And here's what they had in mind. The offender is familiar with the Myers Lake area in Evansdale and the Seven Bridges Wildlife area in Bramer County. The suspect chose Seven Bridges because he or she was familiar with the area and knew it was secluded. The offender blends in with and may be part of the Evansdale, Bramer, and surrounding communities. The suspect likely used quiet coercion to gain the girl's compliance into leaving Myers Lake using a ruse or threats of violence. Possible other characteristics include 
the suspect may have been experiencing stress related to legal troubles, spousal problems, employment difficulties, financial strain, or mental health issues in July 2012. The suspect may avoid discussing the case or showing interest in the matter but is likely following developments in the media. The offender may have attempted to abduct children or adults in the past. Following the disappearance, the suspect may have altered his or her physical appearance, such as changing hairstyle and facial hair. The offender's vehicle may also have been altered with a new paint job or reupholstery. Analysts' experience with prior abduction cases points to one person being involved, but there are cases where more than one person was involved. While authorities had a good profile of who may have killed Elizabeth and Lyric, they didn't have any one suspect in mind. And then a lead came up. Police had three separate witnesses who said they saw a white, older model, full-size SUV-type vehicle, similar to a Chevy Suburban or a Ford Bronco, parked on the street that meets up with the bike trail where the girls' bikes were found. All three witnesses said they'd seen the SUV sometime between 11.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. on July 13, 2012, the same day and approximate time period when the girls went missing. While police valued these witness accounts, they still weren't able to come up with anything solid relating to a person of interest. Moving on to 2013, about six months after Elizabeth's and Lyric's bodies were found, there was another disturbing and eerily similar crime that took place. I read about this case on the website unresolved.me, and they did a very thorough and amazing job covering it, so be sure to check them out. On May 20th, 2013, 15-year-old Kathleen Shepard was walking home from school with 12-year-old friend Desi Hughes. And I'm sorry, but I need to take one second to acknowledge that this is the cutest name ever. Good job, Desi's parents. Desi is a super cute name. I love it. While walking home, the two girls were abducted by a man who forced them into his vehicle by threatening violence upon them. After getting into the man's truck, their abductor drove them around through rural farmland in remote and isolated areas near the hog farm where he worked. Why do so many of my stories involve hog farms? Because it's Iowa. But good God, I cannot even drive by a pig farm anymore without having a goddamn panic attack. Make it stop. Parking at his place of employment, the hog farm, the abductor zip-tied the girl's hands and began separating them. He forced 15-year-old Kathleen Shepard to walk with him, but he left 12-year-old Desi alone in his truck. Big mistake, dipshit. Little 12-year-old Desi managed to escape, flee the area, and get help just moments later. Yes, girl! When police arrived at the scene, the abductor's truck was still parked at the hog farm. But his dead body was inside the truck. He had taken his own life like a cowardly piece of shit bastard. But Kathleen Shepard was nowhere to be found. Her body would be discovered in the Des Moines River several weeks later, about 20 miles downriver from the pig farm. She had been stabbed and beaten to death. The abductor was later identified as Michael Clunder a registered sex offender from Stratford, Iowa, that had spent nearly two decades in prison for kidnapping and assaulting a woman in addition to kidnapping two three-year-olds. <sighs> 
Thankfully, all of those victims survived, but Clunder would return to violent crime in 2013, abducting Kathleen and Desi, and likely planning to kill and sexually assault both of them. But due to the heroism and strength of a 12-year-old little girl, his plans were at least partially foiled. Suicide was an easy way out for this scumbag, but at least he could no longer hurt anyone else in the future. But it left the family of Kathleen Shepard without justice or closure. Now, this crime occurred less than a year after the disappearance of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins, and it happened about 100 miles west of Evansdale, where the girls lived. At first, investigators saw a lot of similarities in the two cases. They began digging into Michael Clunder's criminal past and looking for any possibility that he had been involved in the Evansdale murders. Police found it especially interesting that both cases involved two girls, rather than one, being abducted at the same time under the threat of violence. Even more interesting, Clunder had been released from prison in 2011, just months before Lyric and Elizabeth had gone missing. However, by 2014, investigators had ruled out Michael Clunder as a suspect in the Evansdale murders. Special agents spent months comparing the cases, and they were confident that Clunder was not involved in the Evansdale case. Upon closer look, there were actually several forensic differences in the crimes, and Clunder had an alibi. He wasn't near Evansdale when the two girls went missing. Witnesses confirmed that he was at his home in Stratford, Iowa, at the time the cousins were abducted. Even though police have ruled out Michael Clunder as the killer of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins, many people still continue to have their suspicions. There are still many questions that remain unanswered due to Clunder's suicide. Years would go by and there were still no suspects and no solid leads in the murders of Lyric and Elizabeth. In 2016, though, another two little girls were nearly abducted in a small community by a heavy-set middle-aged man with dark hair and a goatee driving a silver Ford Focus. These girls were able to quickly get away and notify family fast enough that the predator, whose name was Jeff Altmeyer, was actually still in the neighborhood. Those family members are awesome! They jumped into their vehicle and they chased this asshat down. They stayed on him for several miles pursuing him out of town until police were able to show up and make an arrest. And people, while I don't suggest doing this, oh, I give these guys a million and one props. And this, this would actually be something I would totally do, but I should not do, but yes, I would do. But it's just awesome that they sprung into action this way. Just think of all the other kids that they may have saved by doing what they did. Because Jeff Altmeyer had done this before, and he surely would have done it again. He may have seemed like a normal person on the outside, 58 years old, served in the National Guard, married for over 30 years, and had two adult children. I mean, that's pretty normal, right? He spent decades working for security companies, but no, this guy was a fucking monster. 
in this case, thanks to those crazy yet awesome family members who relentlessly tailed him, Altmeyer was arrested and charged with trying to entice children. But he'd been doing this all over Iowa. That's right. Altmeyer had attempted to lure dozens of underage girls into his car, and at times, he actually succeeded. Some of these girls were let go a block or two away, but on at least two occasions, Altmeyer had sexually assaulted his victims, who ranged in age from 6 to 13 years old. He was sentenced to life in prison for the crimes that they did know about, but officials were not convinced that there aren't dozens or more that may have never come to justice. Years later, authorities have remained tight-lipped about any potential involvement he may have had in the murders of Elizabeth Collins and Lyric Cook. But he does remain on a list of potential leads. And as he sits in prison, rotting away, we've still got time to do some more research on this guy. What do you think about Jeff Altmeyer as a potential suspect? Talk amongst yourselves. Just the thought of having your sister not here when you wake up is just terrifying. She was only four years old the day her sister Elizabeth and cousin Lyric disappeared. But Callie Collins remembers everything, even asking her sister to go on that bike ride. And I said, but can I go? And she said, no, because grandma's not going to come with. Elizabeth and Lyric never came home from that summer afternoon bike ride. They were last seen riding near Myers Lake in Evansdale. I don't think there's ever going to be a day in my life that I don't think about it constantly and wonder where she'd be or what she'd be doing. Five months later, on a cold December day, hunters discover the girls' bodies in a very remote wooded area called Seven Bridges Wildlife Park in Bremer County. I would think it almost has to be somebody local that knows either the Seven Bridges area well. To date, authorities have interviewed more than 1,000 people and looked into more than 300 sex offenders. A new lead is a sex offender from Ankeny. 58-year-old Jeff Altmeyer is in jail, charged with trying to entice children in Jasper, Monona, and Grundy County by offering them $100 to get in his car. Court records show he was working as a traveling automobile damage field inspector. It's very concerning to us when you have an individual like that that has the access that he does through his employment at the time uh, to basically roam the state or roam the Midwest. Lyric's parents, Dan and Misty Morrissey, are now both in prison serving for unrelated drug charges. At the time, their involvement with drugs fueled speculation. But today, authorities don't believe they were involved. I think people are confident in saying that, that you know, they didn't have an active role. However, I mean, that doesn't rule out anything coming in to the future. Two people have confessed to the crime, but authorities eliminated them after finding out they didn't know any intimate details about the case. Investigators have never told anyone exactly how Lyric and Elizabeth died. Drew Collins says he doesn't want to know, but he's confident both girls put up a fight. They were both scrappers. Yeah, they would have both fought. The high-profile case that drew national attention has devastated the town of Evansdale and torn apart the Collins family. She's supposed to be here, she's not, and I just really miss her. Elizabeth's parents divorced because of their differences in dealing with the immense grief. It's more than a person can 
dig it with. Today, the Collins kids never go anywhere without an adult and wear necklaces with a picture of Elizabeth. Myers Lake is now Angels Park and memorials for the girls are everywhere. Even five years later, there is hope. After five years, they're not giving up on this case and uh, we're going to hunt this guy down until we catch him. I know they're not going to give up. That was a clip from KCCI Channel 8 in Des Moines, Iowa from 2017, discussing how the loss of Lyric and Elizabeth devastated their families. And as you can hear in the audio clip, they still were not giving up hope that their killer would be found. The following year, in 2018, the Evansdale murder case was still sitting open and unsolved. But the news was reporting some very strange events that had occurred about 40 miles east of Evansdale in Belle Plaine, Iowa. Just before 5 a.m., very early, the morning of May 4, 2018, 36-year-old Teresa Catherine Girlman stood in front of a Union Pacific train that was heading from Chicago to Nebraska. And at the last minute, she pulled her eight-year-old son, Henry, up into the train's path with her. What was at first thought to be a tragic accident was quickly found to actually be a murder-suicide. And there was a possible link here to the murders of Elizabeth and Lyric. Why did this mother end her own life and take the life of her eight-year-old son? Well, police learned that she'd been battling mental health issues, she had been undergoing counseling for those issues, and had been taking several medications for those same issues. But as we know, therapy and medication does not a murderer make. So what else was happening inside this woman's head to lead her to such a tragically final decision? Well... Teresa claimed that she had detailed knowledge about the murders of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. In fact, she told her counselors that she had in her possession a six-page letter from Lyric and Elizabeth's killers, confessing to the crime and giving all the details of what happened. The authors of this letter were supposedly men that Teresa had been hanging around with in the years prior to her death. Police thoroughly investigated this lead. They followed up with therapists and searched Teresa's residence. They examined notebooks, paperwork, and multiple cell phones, but everything they were able to obtain from these sources was basically seen as old news. There was really nothing that they didn't already know, and they closed the book on the murder-suicide of Teresa and her son Henry. But what information did Teresa have? Did her mental illness cause delusions and prevent her from differentiating reality from fiction? Or did Teresa have unique knowledge about the Evansdale murders that may have died along with her? Sadly, we'll never know. Years have gone by, nearly a decade, and the public still has no formal announcement of how Elizabeth Collins and Lyric Cook died. We still don't know exactly where their murders took place, and we don't know who did it. But there's one thing we do know for certain, and that is that Lyric and Elizabeth's families, along with investigators and the entire Evansdale community, will never stop trying to solve this case 
and will never stop looking for justice for these two little girls. New for you tonight here live at 10 o'clock, eight years running and it's still an unsolved, haunting and horrifying Evansdale criminal case. Next Monday, July 13th, will mark the eighth anniversary of the kidnappings and murders of Lyric and Elizabeth. Well, tonight here at 10 o'clock, you're going to hear directly from the lead agent of the Division of Criminal Investigation on the status of this investigation as we ask the question, who killed Lyric and Elizabeth and why? Everybody that's lived in this community for any extended period of time has the investment in seeing this brought to a conclusion. Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation Special Agent Scott Rieger is now the lead investigator on the Lyric and Elizabeth case. Personally, it's um, a pursuit of endurance. It's a case of endurance, I mean, for me personally. So can you tell me approximately how many leads you've received over the eight years, how many you still get? Well, I think within the last couple years, when, when I first got it, we had approximately 1,580 leads. And my guess is in the last two and a half, three years, we've probably gotten an additional two to 300 on top of that. So we're approaching 2,000 leads, you know, in eight years. For so many, it's like it happened yesterday. The Cedar Valley community mobilizes in a massive land and lake search for eight-year-old Elizabeth Collins and her 10-year-old cousin, Lyric Cook Morrissey. Someone abducted and then killed the cousins who had gone on a bike ride that Friday the 13th in July of 2012. Their bikes and personal belongings were found at Myers Lake in Evansdale. Volunteer searchers turned out by the hundreds, but to no avail. 145 days later, on December 5th, hunters found the girls' bodies 20 miles north of Evansdale at the well-known Seven Bridges Wildlife Area in Bremer County. The cause and circumstances of their deaths have never been made public. Can you say how many suspects maybe you've had or how many suspects you've ruled out? Yeah, we won't comment on ruled in, ruled out, or who we Though the case remains unsolved, the Angels Park Island at Myers Lake in Evansdale serves as a lasting tribute and memorial while the investigation continues. And make no mistake, even after eight years, investigators from federal, state, and local agencies are still working this case, a team which includes criminal intelligence analysts. To go through large volumes of data, and that's what I think a lot of people think there's just an investigator or two from time to time that go through it, but we have regular um, periods of time that we carve out to investigate it. Across the community, speculation still runs rampant. Was it a sexual predator who had stalked the girls? We vetted uh, a large amount of, of sex offenders in Blackhawk County and the surrounding counties. Or is it perhaps connected to the illegal drug scene and an unpaid drug debt? The girls were kidnapped only days before Lyric's dad, Dan Morrissey, was set to go on trial on drug charges, charges to which he would later plead guilty, sending him to prison for decades. Yeah, we've gotten a variety of, of different criminal history backgrounds on the people that we have uh, investigated and vetted. Leaving no stone unturned. Five years ago, officers said they believe the killer is someone who still lives in the community and is familiar with the Seven Bridges area. As of the time of this podcast release, Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins' murders have yet to be solved. Justice is waiting. If you have any information regarding the murders of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins, please reach out to the Cedar Valley Crime Stoppers by calling 855-300-8477.
If you would like more information on the case of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins, please see the sources I used in my show notes. And as I said before, there's another podcast called Unresolved that did an absolutely amazing and thorough job covering this case. And I put their link in the show notes. one. Hey y'all, I'm going to CrimeCon 2021 in Austin, Texas. Woo woo! Not as a presenter, but as a spectator. But I hope to meet up with lots of you there. Who's going? Are you going? Are you going? I'm going. Please follow True Crime IRL on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the handle True Crime IRL. And go to TrueCrimeIRL.com for more info or to contact me. If you like the show, please give me a five-star review and a good rating because guess what? It really helps a lot in getting the show noticed and getting higher up in searches. And you do want people to find the show, right? Thank you. I appreciate you. This has been True Crime IRL, and I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink, reminding all of you to, let's say it together now, lock your doors, people, because you never know what kind of predator is lurking, watching you without your knowledge, not to scare you, but it's true. And one simple thing you can do is just lock those doors. Lock them. Do it. Bye-bye.